0: This is the Bema Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we're zooming in on the mini-narrative of Ruth, one story where the mission of God is realized in the way Israel treats the alien, the orphan, and the widow.
1: Yeah, another podcast where we don't have a presentation because we're just going to walk through the whole story. It's only four chapters long. I figure we we didn't spend much time in Judges, like text-wise. Let's just read the whole thing in Ruth. So that's what we're going to be doing. So if you want a presentation... Grab your biblioteca. Is that the right word? Sure. I believe that's the uh, word for library. All right. Well, grab your Bible. How about that? Your your uh, library of biblical scrolls. There you go. And uh, find the scroll of Ruth, root, as we say in the Hebrew. And uh, we'll read through the story there. This is a big story. This is considered, uh, I mean, obviously from a jewish perspective one of the greatest love stories of all time so this is a big uh, this is a big story it's kind of a mixture of poetry and romance with very serious missional implications and uh, it's kind of got a little bit of everything got a little bit of everything for everybody so um i'm going to pick up i'm going to read chapter 1 we're just going to alternate here you get a little bit of both of us today a little bit of brent a little bit of marty here we go chapter 1 in the days when the judges ruled all right, so this is the same time period as we just got done doing the Judges podcast, uh, the Redemption cycle conversation, in uh, those same days, um, in the days when the Judges ruled. During that time period, with all the sin, all the sin cycle. Oh man, there's sin, oh, sin coming out our ears. Geez. Right, it's, it's big lump of failure. That's all the Book of Judges is. If I let, if I let Google image search tell me anything. Sin is just oozing out of the Israelites, oh, right goodness. onto a bed of God's patience. Luckily, we have the book of Ruth, because this book is going to redeem. It's going to redeem a little bit of stuff here. So let's, let's get into it. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Beit Lachem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Okay. So that's interesting. So there's a famine in the land. And they go to live in Moab. Um, maybe in the show notes, Brent, you'll be able to find a map to show people where Moab is at. It's an interesting place to go. If there's a famine in Israel, Moab is just across the Rift Valley. So if you were thinking modern, uh, modern map, modern geography, you'd be thinking of Israel and right over the ridge to the country of Jordan. If there's a famine in Israel, there is most definitely a famine in Moab. So what's going on there? Like either either this family is making the trek to Moab because of the famine, because they think that the god of Moab, the gods of Moab are going to provide for their needs, which would be a definite move of frustrating disobedience. Or can you think of another reason why they might be going to Moab, Brent, that might be more positive in nature?
0: Maybe they know some people.
1: Okay, they could be knowing some people. Would there be any reason to not go anywhere else? Oh, uh, well, we're not supposed to go to Egypt. Ah, so maybe they're going to Moab because the one place, and we said this back in our study of Genesis, where's the one place you always go with a famine? Egypt. It's the, It's what makes sense. It's the one place that you're going to rely on because it's got the Nile and the Nile floods and the Nile delta and there's always going to be food there no matter how bad the drought is. And they're not going to Egypt, they're going to Moab. So maybe, maybe they're making a horrible mistake, but maybe they're actually completely obedient. It's hard to know how to read it here. It could go either direction, but they go to Moab because there's no food. Uh, The man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, still one of my favorite names, Orpah, <laughs> and the other, Ruth. And after they had lived there about 10 years, both Melon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left with her two without her two sons and her husband. This is becoming a very rough story here. Naomi leaves with her husband. She and her husband would have been Israelites. And they left, and they had two Israelite sons. They go to live in Moab. And while they're there, the father dies, and the sons take Moabite wives. But now the sons die. So now we've got an Israelite mother-in-law with no husband, no sons, and her Moabite daughters-in-law. So this is quite the interesting predicament. When when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there I mean that must have been rough to hear that oh man this sounds like this sounds like my life always trying to anticipate what's going to go wrong only to find out I never should have moved in the first place <laughs> uh With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to uh, to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She says, I'm going back to Israel. Listen, you two are Moabites. Um... It's not going to go well for you if you go back to Israel. Uh, if you if you remember the Torah, if you know your book of Deuteronomy, uh, the Moabites are on the short list of people that aren't supposed to enter the assembly of the Lord to the 10th generation. Naomi knows this. She's like, here's no future for you. You're not going to find husbands in Israel. You ought to go back home. She's not doing anything wrong. She's trying to look out for these daughters-in-law and tell them they should... Go back home. And she even blesses them. Yeah, absolutely. She just wants them to be able to go live their life. She's like, there's not a bright future for you back in Israel. You need to go back to Moab. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Uh, who would become your husbands. Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. it's It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Now, She's going to, uh, in essence, in this story, change her name. She's going to say later in the story, we'll end up reading, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Which if you remember, where did we run into Mara before? As uh, the bitter waters. The bitter waters. So Mara can mean bitter, but the root word Mara can also mean what? Oh, uh, Was it stubborn? Yes. Yeah. Rebellious. rebellious. It's that Sam. rebellious son that you stoned to death in the book of Leviticus. And again, it's hard to know. She keeps, she's going to be, Naomi's going to keep talking about bitterness throughout this story. And again, I just wonder what all the backstory was. It's not clear as we read this book of Ruth. Is she bitter because she's angry at the Lord? Or is she calling herself rebellious because she's full of guilt and shame? I kind of like either option. I can relate to both of those. I think most of us could. Uh, I, think, I think we assume that she's bitter at God. She's angry at God for letting her husband die and her sons die. that could definitely be the case. You definitely read the story that way. You can also read the story of Naomi going, I made a mistake. And because I made a mistake, I'm paying the price. I never should have come here in this famine. And now God's paying me back. God's angry with me. God's out to get me. You can see her wrestling, perhaps, with these things. And she's just trying to look out for her daughters-in-law because they're now widows, not only widows, if they go back to Israel, they're aliens, uh, they're orphans, because their father's now dead in a patriarchal world, and they're they're aliens, orphans, and widows. And she knows in a patriarchal world, they need to find husbands. So she's trying to make this case for them. Listen, I, the only people that would marry you would be my sons, and I'm not going to have sons that are going to be able to continue this family line. You need to go back to Moab. At this they wept again, verse 14. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Now go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Okay, so Ruth decides to go with her. That's a pretty bold move, by the way. That's just... Ruth, even though she's a Moabitess, Ruth seems to... Totally have a narrative of self-sacrifice at work. Imagine that, a pagan, a non-believer, having the narrative of self-sacrifice alive and well in her heart. She's like, I'm here for you, Naomi. I'm going to take care of you. you. You too are a widow, and I'm going to look after you. It doesn't matter what happens to me. But Naomi, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Now listen to what she says here. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty One has brought misfortune upon me. It's hard to know how to read that. Could be in either direction. So Naomi returned from Moab, uh, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. All right, go ahead and pick up in chapter 2, Brent.
0: Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain
1: behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Okay, now what's interesting here is she's heard about how this God economy works. So apparently, in the midst of all this sin... This horrible sin cycle of the book of Judges. Apparently, there are people that are still, they are walking out on some level, obedience to what God's asked them to do in Leviticus, because God asked them to do what? To the corners of their fields. Don't cut the corners. Right. And she knows about it. And she's like, well, it's barley harvest. I know that there are people out there that aren't cutting the corners of their fields. So I'm going to go glean there and get some food for me. I'm an alien, and orphan, and the widow. I know how this place works. Apparently, the people of Israel have a reputation already. Interesting. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out,
0: entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Hey. "'Who is that, you lady over there? "'I haven't seen her hanging around these parts before.'" The overseer replied, "'She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. "'She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheavers behind the harvesters, "'the sheaves behind the harvesters. "'She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now "'except for a short rest in the shelter.'" So Boaz said to Ruth, "'My daughter, listen to me. "'Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here.'" Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty,
1: go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Okay, now without a doubt, Boaz is probably smitten with this gal. She's a Moabitess, so he understands. And it was the first thing the foreman told Boaz when he asked about her. Well, she's a Moabitess, like, don't get any funny ideas. Um... And, and she comes with all this baggage, but he's obviously smitten on something. But he also makes this major statement, don't go anywhere else. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure that you have what you need. So you just stay right here. And not only that, don't be afraid to take a break. I'm going to treat you well. We're seeing in Boaz uh, a guy who is righteous. We're seeing in Ruth a Moabitess who is righteous. We got some main characters of the story here who have the heart of God and want to be a part of the narrative in the right way. This is a a compelling story to read. Go ahead and keep going. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, "'Why
0: have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner?' Boaz replied, "'I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before.'" May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant,
1: though I did not have the standing of one of your servants. So they both point out to each other the righteousness that they see in the other person. Boaz being an upstanding, righteous person that God has called the men of Israel to be. And him talking back to her saying... I don't care if you're a Moabitess. I've heard about what you've done for Naomi. You're righteous too. Go ahead. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have
0: some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't
1: rebuke her. So, so that goes well for her, right? He's telling his harvesters, remember what Torah said, if you drop sheaves of grain... Don't pick it up. Can't pick it up. So he's telling them to drop sheaves of grain on purpose. And I'm sure the harvesters, who are, who are most definitely a part of his Badoff, a part of his household. And these aren't large fields. Like, I know we're in the Northwest here, or maybe around the country, and we think fields. And we think, okay, yeah, I had an uncle or a dad who farmed 700 acres. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a small field, like an acre, an acre and a half. I mean, some people get some larger fields. We're not talking a major, you know, get your combine out and go harvest the field. This is your grocery supply for the entire year. And I'm sure his... Fellow members, sons, nephews, servants that are out there harvesting are just really thrilled with the fact that he's dropping sheaves of grain on purpose for this gal. But he is going to take care of her. This is who he is.
0: So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice
1: of you. Okay, so Ruth sees all that she brings home, and she's brought home a lot. My footnote says 22 liters is what she has after she's threshed the grain. This isn't an armful of threshed wheat. This is uh, unthreshed wheat. This is the threshed grain, possibly 20 liters or more of grain Naomi looks up and says, oh my goodness, somebody is obviously... You don't do this from a day's work. Somebody is apparently looking out for you. Tell me who it is. Then Ruth told her
0: mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth... The Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the
1: barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Right, so so mom-in-law here, she sees what's going on, you can tell the wheel, the wheels and the gears are starting to turn, she's like... Not only is this Boaz a great guy, he's also one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now, if you can remember our study in Leviticus, Leviticus ends with an entire chapter on redemption, which was how to get people back into the story after they find themselves cut off from the story. Naomi says, this is our ticket back in. Uh, He's one of the few guys that can actually save us if he wanted to be righteous enough to do the things that God asked him to do. So...
0: Uh one thing before we move on my my footnote said that the uh the grain that she got yep. was about thirty pounds, okay, which is somewhere around a third to a half the amount that Abraham made for the strangers that came upon him oh uh, very interesting, and that was like a month's supply or whatever right okay. yep, so yep. like <laughs>
1: yeah, she's got a lot of grain absolutely. for one day's work absolutely, yeah, yep, absolutely. All right, I'm jumping into chapter three here. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz with whose servant girls you have been a kinsman of ours? Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and uh, and perfume yourself, put on your best clothes, and then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. So mom-in-law has a, she's got an idea here. She's got a plan. She's going to say, listen, you need to get your best dress on. You need to get all gussied up. He's going to be partying. He's going to be drinking. He's going to go out to the threshing floor and lie down, which is common practice. You didn't want anybody stealing your grain So oftentimes a patriarch would go and spend the night out at the threshing floor until his grain could get uh, stored up and put away. So she knows how it works. She's like, you need to go, you need to go woo this guy over to uh, the narrative God's trying to tell in our life. You need to go convince him, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, <laughs> oh, emphasis on spirits. Yes, was in good spirits, he went over to the uh, to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Root approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, someone, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Now, there's all kinds of euphemisms being deployed here, uh, employed here, and one of those is that she uncovers his feet. To uncover feet, uh, feet here is going to be a euphemism for something else. What she does is she uh, is going to open up his robe and uncover his circumcision. Now, don't make this too highly sexual. There has been some some discussion and debate about what it may mean to lie at his feet. Does lie at his feet mean literally to lie at his feet? Or does it mean, does it have a sexual overtone to that? Does something happen there? Maybe inappropriate. I'm not going to go that way in the way that I read the story. I'm going to assume that she uncovers his circumcision and then lies at his feet, which does read well as I'm reading this. And it says something startles the man, as it would. (laughs) as he's he awakes from his slumber uh it's just gotten a tad bit drafty and he looks down and he sees a woman lying at his feet now some have pointed out if she's uncovered his circumcision which is the sign of the covenant that he bears with god his his covenant with god he and he looks down at a woman lying at his feet he actually is looking through the sign of the covenant to see Ruth lying at his feet. It would be an Eastern way. See, if it's Westerner, we would just wake somebody up and tell them what we want them to do. But in an Eastern world, it would be an Eastern way of communicating to him, hey, listen, you have a covenant with God, and God has asked you to partner with him in taking care of alien and orphans and widows like me. So you need to do the right thing here. He says, who are you? Verse uh, nine, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer, which is a, a sign of betrothal in the ancient world. She's not even asking that he takes her into his household. She's not even saying, let me be a servant who eats at your table. She's not even saying, let me be a concubine. She's saying, I want you to marry me, a Moabitess. I want you to marry me as a wife. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater... Uh, Than that which you showed earlier, you have not run after the younger men, which whether rich or poor, and now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone uh, could be recognized. And he said, don't let any, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. When she went back and then she went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go? My daughter, I can imagine with six measures of barley. Uh, She probably doesn't have to ask that question, but nevertheless, she does anyway. Um, She told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. He understands what it means to take care of the alien, the orphan, the widow, the poor. He's going to give them what they need. He's giving them an abundance. And Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Go ahead and finish this out in chapter four, Brent. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there just as
0: the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down.
1: So he now, went we, over. I'll, I'll oh, stop you real okay, quick. All right. Remember the city gates? Yes. Notice here, where does he have to go for this business transaction? Goes to the town gate. There they are. Sitting at the, this is where all the business is going to take place. Go ahead.
0: Uh, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Everything's not going well. He needs... uh, Oh, boy. Let's see what happens. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Root the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property.
1: Uh Uh-oh. You don't just get a piece of land. You also get the responsibility of carrying on the name of our Israelite brother with his Moabite wife, widow. At this, the
0: guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You
1: redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. He says, I'm out. Oh, that's enough for me. Moabitus, no thank you. Might and he says, like, well, maybe it would endanger his estate. Like, that's too many mouths to feed. Is it just that, or is it the larger communal stigma of what could happen to his business, his acceptance in the community? Eh, we don't necessarily know, but it makes you wonder as you read that.
0: Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have brought from Naomi all the that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Melon. Through the offspring, the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took root and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Oved. He was the father of Yesi, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadav, Aminadav the father of Nashon, Nishon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Oved, Oved, the father of Yesi, and Yesi, the father of David.
1: All right. So the story ends with this wonderful ending. There's all these references to Prez Pratz, if you remember our conversation about Judah and Tamar all the way back in Genesis. That was her, one of her children, another one of those stories of questionable legitimacy, incest. It's not one of the prettier stories, and yet it, it, it's actually Boaz's family line, and they call back to that at the end of the story, the elders do, and say, you know, this is a part of who you are. This is a part of where you're from. May it work as well for you as it did for Prats in the story of your family line. And in fact, as we read this, it's going to because Jesse, well, Jesse's going to end up being the father of the great king, David. And so, this has this unbelievable, unbelievable implications, which us New Testament people will even go on to say, I mean, this has Jesus implications, this story does. So, unbelievable uh, story about righteousness. I love that. Just a couple thoughts to close with. I love that because when we went through Judges, we kept talking about sin and sin and sin cycle and redemption cycle and failure and just... And yet, in the midst of all of that, we have this unbelievable story of people committed to obedience and righteousness. In the days of the judges, the first line of this book read, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all hopeless. Apparently, there were whole groups of people who were doing the things that God asked them to do. So we have that awesome observation. And one of my last favorite observations, when we talk about the book of Ruth in our review Uh, in our discussion groups and on this podcast, we'll talk about Ruth being a love story. And it's a love story about righteous characters. It's a love story about a Moabitess. Uh, But one of our listeners, Christy, pointed out to me years ago, uh, it's much more than just a love story between Boaz and Ruth. It's much more than simply a romance. This is a love story about uh, God's people and their God. This is a love story of people wanting to love their God by being obedient. One of the things we'll look at all throughout the scriptures, even into the New Testament, is if you love me, you will what, Brent? You will obey me. You will obey me. This is how I know you'll love me. You'll obey my commandments. Jesus is going to say this multiple times. And here in this book, we find ourselves in the middle of a love story. Not just of, of, of Boaz and Ruth, but of Boaz and the Israelites and their God. We know what you want, God. We know what you've asked us to do. I mean, we said in our last podcast, apparently they had forgotten Deuteronomy. They had forgotten where they came from. But at the same time, apparently not everywhere, because apparently somewhere there were groups of people that said, we do remember where we came from. We do remember the alien, orphan, and widow, and this is how we're going to show you, God, that we love you by being a part of your mission. Uh, so it's just a good uh, Just a unbelievable compelling story Practical story Of what it looks like to put the mission of God at work And very encouraging
0: Absolutely That even if everyone around you is going off the rails yep. You can still yep. follow God and do
1: Carry out his mission Absolutely Read every year at Shavuot The festival of weeks we say Pentecost So there you go Is that coming up? It is coming up indeed Probably not by the time May people are 31st yeah, definitely yeah. Not, def-
0: definitely long past by the yeah, time by the people time hear, this. hear
1: this podcast it will have happened already but that is correct
0: alright well let us know what you think about this story uh, you can get a hold of Marty on Twitter at Marty Solomon you can find me at EIBCB uh, check out our Baymont Discipleship Facebook page uh, for, for links that Marty will be posting throughout the year and uh, you can find more details as always about the show at com. so thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast and we'll talk to you again soon